This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome-times-awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, super-flexible when it comes to rescheduling podcasts, Andy Uh. D. Bailey, Esquire. He is back. He did his law school finals. He is about to start prepping for the bar, but we're gonna we're calling him Esquire officially. Um, I'll bef- take it. Yeah. Before we dive into the playoff mailbag, we'll get to, and of course, I'll pick Andy's brain on the his thoughts about the two conference final series going on right now. I just want to remind everyone to please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. That is still our best way of tracking the pod and your engagement and letting us know that you're, one, listening, and two, what you think about it. We love seeing those ratings go up, so please continue to take the 15 seconds out of your day to steal someone's phone or use your own phone um, and go to iTunes, search Hardwood Knox, rate, review, and subscribe. We can also be found basically everywhere that there are podcasts now. So subscribe there, listen to us, what's ever most convenient for you. And you can still get 15% off at the NBA Math Shop. That's mbamath.com slash shop. Promo code Benno, B-E-N-O, should be easy to remember. You know why. But with all of that aside, Andy, how does it feel to be done with law school? Well, it feels good to be done with school. That's for sure. But I, the law school is weird because you just get like a week off and then you do the hardest part of the whole thing, which is the bar prep. I mean, so we'll see how that goes. (laughs) What does the bar prep entail? It's, this is hilarious. Um, Law students like go into thousands and thousands of dollars of debt to go to school for three years. And then they have to pay a third party to teach them how to take the only test that matters, which is the bar. (laughs) <laughs> and the company that I bought my bar prep from, I mean, you're basically like, um, you have to buy this this bar prep stuff. There's there's really no other way to do it. But their big selling point was that I would that you know if you go with this company, you'll get in person instruction. It cost, uh, you know, between the bar application and the bar prep course, it was four grand to have access to a bunch of videos. That's absurd. <laughs> So that's just uh, another Andy Bailey rant on academia, which are seemingly endless at this point in my life. Will you you be tweeting whilst you take the bar? (laughs) Will there be a stack thread? (laughs) (laughs) My wife told me, uh, so I'm probably going to go to like the public library to watch the videos, so I'm not distracted at home. She's like, I'm going to be checking Twitter to make sure that you're you're focused, which is probably a good thing because I clearly was not in a lot of my – classes um didn't prevent me from passing though so that's good well sweet we wish you the best of luck in it 
Um, but, but you're Esquire in all of our hearts already. I just want you to know that. I'll take it. Um, before we hop into this mailbag, I wanted your quick thoughts. I'll start with Cavs Celtics. Um, as we record this, Cleveland is down 2 0. Did you see this coming at all? Do you expect them to rebound? What have you have you noticed anything encouraging or something that you think they could fix in this series? I really wish some enterprising Celtics fan had wasted a little bit of their life and just like kept track of how many times I've been wrong about the Celtics over the course of this season. Um, there was the early season. Uh, what was that NBA math thing we were on? Can't remember what it's called. Oh, the, but yeah, I, yeah, the basket brawl. Yeah, the, the defunct thing, basket brawl. Yes, me versus you, which I triumphed in to no one's surprise. Um, <laughs> I was shocked personally, <laughs> but I said they'd be around five hundred. It was like right after the Gordon Hayward injury. I wasn't even sure if they'd make the playoffs, or you know, I figured they'd be like in that eighth, ninth, tenth range. They obviously blew that away. Then they beat the Bucks, who I picked to win in the first round because they had Giannis. I just thought, well, they've got, they've got the best player, and, and Boston doesn't have Kyrie. And Marcus Smart was even out at the start of the playoffs, I think. Then I picked the Sixers. Wrong again. <laughs> Same sort of argument. I told myself there's more talent at the top with Philly. Um, and I actually felt like that one was going to be pretty comfortable. I, I, thought, I thought the Sixers might even you know, sort of roll. And in this one, I thought Cleveland would roll, and that's obviously – not happening and I'm, I'm almost at a point where I can't I can't justify picking against them much more um, I guess my biggest takeaway from this series is that certainly there has to be more than just us and like other hardcore number people who believe that Al Horford is a star right oh my god yes it, it finally it's people are talking about it like this is a coming out party and I think I'll say yeah, NBA Twitter is yeah. NBA Twitter has been pretty on top of it and this is not, this is kind of just like an extension, maybe a more aggressive version of what Al Horford has always been, particularly the defensive end, the way people talk about him. It's like, that's what Al Horford has done for a decade or more. Yep. It's just, so it's good to see him finally get some shine, but it's funny that it, the talk has been about how Tristan Thompson's always owned him, which has been true. And then people don't understand the context of why sometimes his rebounding numbers are deflated. It's just, it's hysterical. But I, again, I don't, I hate the sector of NBA Twitter that's holier than now and talks like they're the only ones that watch certain players or certain teams. I think NBA Twitter yeah. as a whole, there are still some, I think NBA Twitter collectively for the most part has, has been on top of Al Horford for, for years now. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's cool that he's finally sort of getting the shine. I guess more to the point of your actual question, it seems it seems reasonable to think that Cleveland could just win two at home and suddenly we're like basically back to where we thought we would be. Um, but there's just they have some issues that I'm not sure they can resolve at this point. Their defense is atrocious. <laughs> There are so many possessions in the first two games of this series where after maybe like two swings from side to side of the ball, some Celtics player will catch it with no Cavalier within 15 or 20 feet of him. I feel like that's happened, I don't know, 20 times in the first two games. Um, that's just crazy to me. And I don't know, like I said, it's probably too late to recover from that, right? I mean, what, what sort of adjustments do you think they can make to, to turn this around? Can they give a damn? Because Besides, well, yeah, that would help. <laughs> I, 
I was going to say besides LeBron just going absolutely insane, which I'm sure he'll do at some point. But yeah, you're 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 onto something for sure. It's I don't they, I hate criticizing effort, but the Cavs honestly did not look like they cared for maybe the on defense for the latter three quarters of Game Two, particularly. And with LeBron after that whole neck injury, it's it was sort of like he he kind of checked out on the defensive end. He was just, or maybe they're trying to let him play that free safety role, but he's not even attempting to close out on shooters. And if he's banking on rotations to happen, they're not. No. <laughs> yeah. They're not happening and they're not going to happen. I don't think. I, so it's just like I, Boston scored 112.8 points per 100 possessions for this series. There are some things that could normalize. Um, but here's, here's kind of something that, I had found interesting is that uh, the Celtics are like, I just don't, do you look at anything of their performance? Like, Oh, that that's unsustainable. Like they're not, they're hitting 39.4% of their wide open threes for this series. They're of course getting like 17 of them a game, which is, which is too many. That's probably not going to go down. They have all these shooters. The Cavs conversely, maybe they'll normalize a bit. They're shooting, they're shooting nine of 30 on wide open threes for the conference finals. That's only 30%. Like, that might help you, but the defense is just... Pick-and-roll coverages are a mess. I don't understand why... I don't understand Ty Lue's rotation, period, but I don't understand why he tries to make certain lineups happen. I don't... I kind of still expect them to win this series because of LeBron, but I'm at the point where it's... The Cavaliers, at one point, deserved the bare minimum benefit of the doubt, and I don't think they do anymore. Yeah, I don't think they do either. And at this point, like I said earlier, it's it's probably time for me to start giving that to Boston. Um, they've just it, it doesn't seem to matter what happens. They just <laughs> they continue to do what they do. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't. Do you have them winning the series now? My Cavs and five pick is just torpedoed. What did I say? Cavs and six. I think you said Cavs and six. Yeah. I don't. It's so hard to make a pick at this point. Cavs and seven still seems like possible, but. Um, if I have to make a pick, I'm going to go ahead and say Boston. I'm going to say Cavs in seven still, and I hope Celtics fans, if they're listening, they, you feel free to just roast me on Twitter. I don't feel yeah. it's just I don't feel good about the pick at all, but I'm still just I refuse to pick against LeBron James before the NBA Finals. I just refuse. It to also do. just feels like at some point there has to be a reality check for the Celtics. I've been waiting for one for months, so maybe it's stupid to keep waiting, but. Yeah. Doesn't it feel like that It's in some degree? Well, it's – yeah, it does particularly – maybe not particularly because we've seen them go through kind of stretches of stagnancy on offense, although not so much anymore. But it seems like their – or at least what I determined to be their ultimate downfall when you looked at from scratch shot creation was, well, you can turn to some different guys, Terry Rozier, Marcus Morris, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. But the fact that you would need to turn to a guy like Marcus Morris – to me, was just this red flag. And now now that we've played so much of the postseason, it looks like it's almost a strength because you have all those different guys who are getting more used to creating their own shots. You've had Al Horford, Al Horford be more aggressive on the point of attack when he's pump faking. So it's almost like this success by committee where you can bank on maybe not all NBA performances from any one player but you can bank on two to three of those guys just being on and doing enough every single night that's makes them uniquely dangerous and then of course we know what they can do on the defensive end yeah it just uh 
the defensive end, like I've, I think I've said this on the podcast a couple times, I feel like he could just pluck five guys off the street and have a like at least a moderate NBA defense. Last thing I'll, I'll say about this series is uh, even if they, you know, even if Cleveland comes back and wins or if Boston wins and then gets crushed by whoever wins in the West, it this is like, we've already talked about, this is like an exclamation point in Al Horford's career. Oh, hell yeah. He's, he's been incredible for years, like we've said, but this playoff run is unbelievable. And particularly him, I, I would say he dominated Joel Embiid in the that last year. more than fair. And uh, that's, you know, like I said, that's quite an exclamation point for him at this point in his career. The And the final thing I'll say on the series is the Cavaliers have no chance of winning if we can't get to a point and look at their roster and say, outside of LeBron, we know player X is going to show up. We can't go too deep in the depth chart anymore and say, you know that guy is going to show up. And part of that's the rotation. You know, Larry Nance Jr. is all of a sudden playing again. High IQ defender, uh, but could he catch a pass maybe without bobbling it on offense? That would be fantastic for them. It's just we can't look at their roster and have any sort of confidence in it aside from LeBron. And I looked this up for an article I did. It was like a quick reaction piece to Game 2. Through each of the previous three seasons in Cleveland, the Cavaliers had two or more players entering the playoffs other than James yielding a VORP value over replacement player of one or higher. In his four years with Miami, he always had at least four teammates with a VORP of 1.0 or higher. And this year... In the in the playoffs, is that what you said? No, this was entering the playoffs because it was just a larger oh, okay. sample size. And this year's Cavs have Kevin Love and that's it. With the 1.0 or higher. Yeah, that's not, it's not surprising actually. But yeah, keep going. This is very clearly the worst supporting cast he has ever had and people can't look at the Cavaliers as salary and determine otherwise that's the funniest take on Twitter at the moment is looking at their salary and saying oh don't say he doesn't have help yeah whether it's Speaking a byproduct of funny of, takes yeah go ahead uh, have you seen the stuff about how we gotta we have to stop praising Brad Stevens because he's playing with lottery picks no is that a thing I thought there'd <laughs> been over that a bunch of times him. was like oh would you rather have Brad Stevens or a team of five LeBrons like that type of stuff I actually thought it was that's... going the other way yeah, that's crazy too. But I, I've seen a couple takes that were like, I think it might have even been on the jump. But they they were saying, um, you know, Brad Stevens is great, but let's not pretend like he doesn't have two number three picks. Oh my God. Uh, Al Horford, Terry Rozier, who was almost a lottery pick. Like th- these are literal things that I've seen. Um, and I wish I could remember who responded to it. I saw it on Twitter, but they were like, well, the Brooklyn Nets have two number three picks. So <laughs> what are we doing here? It's, um, I don't know. It's just super hot takey. It was, yeah, it's just, and, and to really quick wrap up the series with LeBron supporting cast, uh, NBA Matt's founder and chief, uh, founder and editor in chief, Adam Frommel just published an article today about, is this the worst supporting cast LeBron ever had? And it, it clearly is. If you look at, um, the total TPA of this team, it's, it's just terrible it's by far just the worst uh that he's ever had and he compared this was i found this hysterical non lebron members of the Cavs in this series are shooting um, oh for the playoffs actually so non lebron members of the Cavs are slashing 42.5 percent overall shooting 34.5 percent from beyond the rainbow and 77.8 percent from the foul line and that was, he did, he ran a similarity model 
and the the two of the top three players that came up were Royce O'Neal and Andrew Harrison. So that's what that will that's what LeBron has collectively as a supporting cast is essentially Royce O'Neal, who had you know, a good season with the Jazz, but I don't think you want him as your you know your benchmark for a number two or three guy. And then Andrew Harrison, especially as as an offensive right. player. Um, Warriors Rockets, though, are you ex- are more excited about the series after the Rockets were able to steal Game Two? I picked Warriors in five, and I'm not convinced that still won't happen. I could kind of see them running off a blowout in Game Three than just winning game four because they're at home and then the Rockets just being defeated. But maybe, in fact, we do have more of a series than I initially gave them credit for. I had Warriors in six. I feel about the same as I did. I, I'm sure the Warriors are – they're probably not thrilled to have lost game two, but they did get the split. Um, they still haven't had like a monster Stephen Curry game, which is coming. That's another thing that we've had a little bit too much uh, hot take machine focus on <laughs> what's wrong with Stephen Curry. I think he'll be fine. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really feel any differently about this series than I did before. I think Houston showed in game two what we've been talking about all season, that it, they're, they're not just an offensive machine. People who haven't been paying super close attention to the regular season maybe just think it's D'Antoni and Harden and it's the same old, story with with D'Antoni teams but they're very much a defensive team this year I think they were top 10 in defensive efficiency in the regular season and they've got a bunch of guys that they can throw at different players they I, I think the Rockets along with the Celtics and the Warriors are they're near the forefront of sort of the positionless basketball revolution and having Bob Mute and Ariza and Tucker to, to switch all over the perimeter has helped them defensively. And I think that's what won them game two was better defense, not so much a different uh, outcome on offense. So, yeah, long story short, I feel about the same. I think Houston has enough weapons and enough sort of defensive versatility to be able to get two wins in this series. But it's it's really hard for me to see anyone knocking off the Warriors at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm with everything you just said there. And their, their defense was super important. James Harden trying harder still wasn't great, but the fact that he can have a 9 of 24 shooting night, 3 of 15 from beyond the arc in game two, and you still win, it is a testament to what you're being able to do on defense. And then it finally helped that we, or we, they had the, I'm not a Rockets fan despite the we, Eric Gordon just popped <laughs> off and he's been struggling pretty much all year with his efficiency. His on-off splits have always been, not so much in the playoffs, but for the regular season, they've been incredible. But he's his shooting percentages haven't just haven't been great. And PJ Tucker just it, it's almost like he's been unbelievable in the playoffs. Does he, he ever shoot above the, the break three? It's always in the corner, and I feel like yeah. the Warriors were just always off of him. Still, it also feels like he never misses that corner three. No, it's a, every at least not for the last couple months. Not that I've seen over the last year, he hasn't missed a corner three. <laughs> and do you know what was also funny? Was after game one, everyone just like yelling at the Rockets saying they do too much ISO. It was, have you watched the Rockets at all during the season or read about them or seen That's anything literally on Twitter? All they did. And I, <laughs> I think there's merit to saying I've, I'm always for like more off ball movement from certain players and it would be cool. Like I want LeBron to be able to be the role man more. You could say that about the Cavs offense for, since he's come back. Uh, it would be great to have more off ball movement, but like, isolation and these simple pick and rolls and these kickouts uh they're just the foundation of everything they did and i thought there was more off ball movement in game two but it's really funny 
Um, Houston threw in the first game of the series 226 passes, and then that was game one. And then in game two, they threw 228. So two more passes. That's so it's funny. not people can't come out and say <laughs> they they just abandoned their style completely. It was as you said, they played better defense, and I do think there was a touch more off ball movement. Uh, and maybe some, I didn't look up these numbers, but I think there was less dribbling overall for them. So that definitely helps. Um, I think game three is going to set the tenor for the series, though, because I'm still worried that the Rockets don't measure up over a longer haul against the Warriors. But you kind of need, as you talked about, that trademark Stephen Curry game. Um, and I also, I, I feel weird saying this because he's shooting really well for the series, but maybe a little bit less Kevin Durant. Does that mean, like, it's, I feel like you know the worst what, uh, offense is better when I would rather have Steph freelancing a ton than relying yes. so much on Kevin Durant. Is that I totally crazy? Agree. Oh, you do? No, I, I, I completely agree with you. Did you see Draymond Green's mom's tweets about that? No. I don't know if she took him down, but somebody screenshotted him. Um, this is another Twitter moment where I can't remember who did it, but she was going back and forth with some fan about stuff. St- she called Durant out like by name and said, "Enough with the ISOs." It's just and somebody. Somebody responded to her. That. Yeah, and somebody somebody responded to her, and she talked about how they need to swing the ball side to side, and she was making good points. I, I agree. Durant's an incredible offensive player, and he was he was one of the lone bright spots for the Warriors in Game Two, just from like a purely statistical standpoint. But they. They are absolutely at their best when the ball and all five players are flying around. And I think they've gotten into a tendency uh, since he's been there. And I think, it's, I think it's more common this season than it was last season for them to just sort of stand around and watch him ISO, which we just said that works great for Houston because they have two of the best ISO players ever. Mm-hmm. And, I, and Durant is obviously a great ISO scorer too, but it's, it just, it's not Golden State's identity. I think they're much, much better when ball and player movement are just at a at a eleven, you know. Right now they seem to be at like a six or a seven. That would be more fine if if he's playing in lineups without Stephen Curry and Draymond Green. Because even even yeah. if even if you remove Steph from the equation, I still think everything you said kinda of holds true because of what Draymond Green can do as as a passer. And he is his decision making when just in terms of finding open guys when he's on the move is absurd. Yep. So uh, the one thing that won't hold in this series, I'm, I'm guessing, is Stephen Curry shooting uh, about I don't I don't even know what the the raw percentage, is, but he's shooting like 10 percent on open and wide open threes. And I know the there's kind of like a weird uh, the way like open is defined between four and six feet. That's still enough distance for defenders to kind of close out if they're long enough. But he's he's one of eleven on open and wide open threes total for this series as you're talking about maybe we don't get a Stephen Curry game perhaps he's still that MCL sprain he's recovering from it uh his off the dribble stuff inside the arc seems like it's fine but it doesn't seem like he's flying around as much even though I think he's been moving better than I kind of thought especially looking at the end of the Pelican series but that won't hold I am interested to see though if there's just any you know did we're Steve Kerr looking at Draymond Green's mom's Twitter, and are there going to be adjustments made looking <laughs> forward? Warriors have to stop playing anything resembling a traditional big in this series, though, and that includes uh, David West. Uh, like, I just, I don't even know. Kavon Looney's probably the limit. Um, his touch on the offensive end is just bizarre. Even when he's trying to get, like, those tap backs, I just feel like he's destined to miss everything. And I say this knowing he's shooting 60% in the series, but he's attempted five shots. I... 
I, I think the Warriors kind of might need to try to force the issue more. Clint Capella is so valuable, even when he's not scoring to what the Rockets do, um, because of the pressure he puts on everyone and the work he forces Golden State to do on the glass, the screens he set on offense. It's not even just a matter of creating space for um, Harden and Paul, but because of the way he rolls, it's you have to, you know, unless you're going to stay off him, which you're probably not, you have to be up. And if you're taking that guy away from the rim, it's going to make Houston's offense a lot easier one way or the other. Either they're going to get to the basket, or as we kind of saw in game two, there's going to be shooters left wide open. Those are just some, some kind of things to monitor. But I think if you're the Warriors, maybe you try and dictate style of play just a little bit more. I wonder if Jordan Bell could help him find like a middle ground between playing small and still having somebody who could like body Clint Capella. He, I think you should probably give him... Any minutes. He's only played six minutes in the series. Right. He hasn't played a lot in the playoffs in general. And there's probably just he's a rookie, and I know I think Steve Kerr doesn't like kind of like the way he runs the floor sometimes, I think I've seen. But I would give, and this is we're talking about David West is averaging under five minutes per game for the series. I'd give him all of David West minutes and maybe let him eat into loonies a little bit. And I, I, you know what? I could just kind of see what happens, I right. think. And I could do with a little bit less of Nick Young as well. Yeah. He's shooting again, shooting that, well from three, but his defense is is almost. Well, it's not almost. It's impressively bad. He <laughs> did have that random. Was it Harden? Did you see that in game two? That random. Where he just, kind of stonewalled him for yeah. a second. Yeah, it was Kevin Love's game seven moment, but it came for Nick Young <laughs> in the conference finals game two with the Warriors trailing by a zillion. Well, I'll, I'll take those moments anytime I can get them from Nick Young. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I think we'll both stick with our picks. I think yours is definitely closer. The Warriors in six kind of feels right, but I refuse to to just back down just yet. All right, let's jump into some mailbag questions. I'm excited. Um, okay. This is from Joshua Beal, at Joshua F. Beal. And I'm pretty sure we've answered this exact question in previous episodes, but I think it's more interesting now that we've seen him in the playoffs. Donovan Mitchell or Jason Tatum? It's tougher now, right? Or is it? Um, I feel like it is tougher for me. Uh, and and I, I say that, I don't even know where I came down on this question last time. But uh, Tatum has made some headway in this debate. Yeah. Uh, damn. I don't know who I would pick. <laughs> it's hard. I think so I would still go Donovan go Mitchell. And because... I think he's eventually going to be an even better passer than he is now. You just look at the havoc he creates on his explosive drives, even when he's not even hitting shots. Like, the defense just goes into kind of this tizzy. And Jason Tatum, the way he's so smooth on pull-ups, even though I know that the shooting percentages don't always support it, I I think that's kind of a notch under his belt. It looks like this time without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward is going to make him super valuable as that from-scratch shot creator guy. He's going to be able to defend both forward positions. I mean, he could just defend basically across the board. They don't switch him as much as they do with Jalen Brown, but he'll be fine there. I just, maybe this is me also knowing that Donovan Mitchell is going to have more control over his offense's fate than Jason Tatum when you look ahead to next season and see Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving in the mix. I would still go Donovan Mitchell, but in a vacuum, if we were to rip Tatum out from the Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving uh, core in Boston, I, th- I think it's awfully close and definitely much closer than it was when we first answered this question. Yeah, I think it's closer to, I, 
so you I think you basically hit on the point that still has me going Mitchell as well and it's the fact that he's done this in a much much um, more pressure filled role they had about the same box plus minus uh, this season Mitchell's was 1.1 Tatum's is one in the playoffs Mitchell's was 1.3 and Tatum's is 1.7 they had basically an identical PER in the playoffs Tatum's a more efficient shooter uh, right now. And I think another thing for Tatum is, and, and I know plenty of people have made jokes about Celtics fans for always bringing it up, but he is t- two years younger. Um, That's true. 20 years old right now, and two years of seasoning in the NBA, he could be a much different or much better player in, in two years. And the other thing that I think that goes in his favor is the size. Um, he's very much built for the modern NBA to be one of these like two through four guys who can switch everything, who can do a little bit of everything. So I think there are a lot of points that would lead us to Jason Tatum. But Mitchell to me just has like this sort of undefinable star quality. Uh, it feels like a cop out to say that. And then there's also the thing that we both already mentioned, the fact that he was like unquestionably the offensive alpha from for them from, I don't know, two weeks into the season before they, they he, he had basically taken over that team, at least on offense. Um, and I, you know, he's, he's already 21 or he was in his age 21 season. So he's a little bit further along in his developmental timetable than Tatum, but he's still got time to get better too. And he's, he's already, I think Mike Schmitz at ESPN has mentioned this a bunch of times. Like the, the strides that he's made from his junior year in high school to now are crazy to go from like six or seven points as a freshman in college to 14 or 15 as a sophomore to 20 in the NBA. Um, that's just like a super steep incline in terms of his development. So I think he still has time to get better as well. But this this rookie class in general is just crazy. I mean, it, it, it really – I know a lot of people wrote the article that's like, is this the next LeBron James, Dwayne Wade um, thing with Simmons and Mitchell? And I think we can throw Tatum in there too. I think the natural comparison with him is Mello, but I think he's going to be better than Mello. Um, Certainly on defense. He's already yeah, a better I mean, already, better spot up shooter than Melo has really ever been. Maybe his peak Melo sure. season, but I'm not even sure. Yeah, I, I probably didn't even need to make the comp. He's, I, I think it's pretty obvious. Why are you be selling Jason Tatum short? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, long long story short, this rookie class is incredible. Um, I, he didn't ask this, but do we both still have Ben Simmons as like the clear leader of this group? Yeah, I do. I think I do too. Because he's going to impact the game as a passer more than either of those two ever will. For sure. Um, I Actually, there was one more thing on this. There was a cool uh, Nylon Calculus posted something like right before we started recording. It was perfect. Um, In the playoffs, points created per game, so I'm assuming this is points plus points generated by assists. Mitchell was at 34.5. Simmons was at 35.3. Tatum's at 25.6. Percentage of team total, Mitchell 33.7%. Simmons 32.4%. Tatum 24.4%. Two guys carrying a third of their team's offense, one carrying a quarter, and they're all rookies. And they all made it past the first round. Like, this is nuts. This is crazy what this group is doing. Do you know what we might need to look at Tatum as? And this isn't to say that if you did look at it this way, he he is better than Mitchell. 
the more interesting question to me at this point really is who would you rather have Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, which is, I know it's harder for me than it is for you, but if you just look at their roles, so Jason Tatum had like 40, what was it, between 45 and 48% of his offensive possessions came in transition or spot-ups. Um, Donovan Mitchell had 28% in those same categories. More than 40% of his offensive possessions came as the pick-and-roll ball handler. And when you look at that disparity in roles, if you want to evaluate Jason Tatum, it's kind of like that Clay Thompson situation. Because when, when he's going to play alongside Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, you want to throw Al Horford in there, maybe even Jalen Brown a little bit. Should they even trade for another star over the offseason? You have to imagine him in a different type of role. I don't want to, His efficiency is going to probably be inflated because of the talent around him and the role he plays within it. And that's not to take anything away. It's just that you look at what Clay Thompson does in Golden State, he tends to get overlooked or people think he became overrated, but just because his role is kind of almost marginalized by design. So it's it's just, uh, that's kind of where I'm at for me. Is Jason Tatum is just never going to have that, maybe might never need to have that opportunity unless something happens with Boston's roster and they get rid of Hayward and or Kyrie at some point. That might yeah. just be how we have to kind of look at him. It seems like we might not get that look at Tatum for like four or five years at least. We probably maybe eventually get it though. We're, we probably that's what won't I was going to say. Maybe play. eventually he becomes like the number one there. And I think that's within reason to expect that. But the, a lot of people talking about should they trade Hayward and Kyrie is, is crazy to me. Yeah, if, they at least have to try it for a year, right? <laughs> I, I would think, especially if they make it out of the Eastern Conference Finals, they have they. I wouldn't touch this roster. I don't think it would be interesting to trade no, Kyrie you, Irving. I mean, they're already adding two All Stars to what they're doing in the playoffs, right? And if you can get to a point where you're just capitalizing on a bad situation, look, let's say the Kawhi situation. I still expect him to stay in San Antonio, but let's say it devolves and the Spurs are willing to to take at the middle of next season salary fodder and they've just re-signed Marcus Smart and then picks and you want to build an offer that way because you're going to get a low ball price fine. I'm not even sure if you just said like let uh, remove the actual financial logistics from it and said Kyrie or Gordon Hayward straight up for Leonard. I don't necessarily know that I would do either of those deals. And Kyrie Irving, the, using him as the anchor is a little bit interesting just because you know what you have in Terry Rozier, and you've seen that both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can carry more of the offensive load, and you know that Leonard can carry the load. And with Kyrie Irving coming up on free agency, would you rather pay? Do you want the next five years of his career, the next five years of Leonard's career? That's a fair question. And yeah. then even with the Hayward injury, there's stuff there, but they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think you have to test it out for at least a year. Yeah. I'm with you. That's what I was going to say. Even those questions are at least like eight or nine months away. Um, okay, let's move on to Justin slash default at X default with two T's. Where's Boogie going? Um, he unfollowed the Pelicans on Instagram. I was going to say, somebody. I, I had a radio spot in Utah this morning and he said that Boogie, I didn't know this, but he said Boogie unfollowed the Pelicans and followed Julius Randle and somebody else, too, that was related to the Lakers, but I can't remember who it was. Um, so it's that time of year where we're watching NBA stars' social media well, game. Here's, <laughs> did you see the explanation he gave for it? I'm a grown man. He said, I'm grown, and it's like, <laughs> oh, nothing says okay. nothing says hardcore adulting, like taking the time to... <laughs> 
purge your Instagram feed of the franchise you've been with for the past 15 months. That's something yeah. you actively have to do. That's not yeah. that because I'm grown. It, <laughs> he would be a fine consolation prize for the Lakers, or maybe if they don't want to get rid of Randall and they're planning on signing Paul George, and then you put Cousins there as well. I don't know. I wouldn't be crazy about a Randall-Cousins pairing, to be honest with you. Randall's no, that position is center now. Geez. Even if you bring him off the bench still, creates all kinds of problems. Maybe it doesn't mean anything, but I, I, why? I, and I don't know. I honestly don't know to get to the question where he would sign. The Lakers would make sense if they, if they need a placeholder and he's willing to sign a one- or two-year deal. Otherwise... It kind of seems like he he could be a sign and trade candidate. Like, would Washington try and work something out with New Orleans? But then, who are they willing to use as the salary anchor there to bring Cousins back? Even I feel like their already terrible cap situation gets worse if they have Boogie. That's true because they're not getting rid of Jan Mahimi in that trade either. Uh, would it be? New Orleans wouldn't be interested in a Parker sign and trade for Boogie. Like the dual sign, that's not really on the table. Toronto, maybe, if they were really looking to shake things up and New Orleans wanted a Baca or maybe liked Valanciunas. But even then, if you're going to get rid of Boogie, it should be because you want to play Anthony Davis at center all the time. So I, I honestly don't know where he could go unless you have any other like ideas. Just because the teams with cap space aren't really going to want him. Yeah, my I, in my notes, I just wrote L.A. with a question mark because I, <laughs> I don't know. Other than New Orleans, that's the spot that made some sense to me before he got hurt. Um, I liked the idea of like LeBron James, DeMarcus Cousins picking roles, but maybe Phoenix I, if Aiton they don't draft Aiton. Yeah, that could be interesting. Are they going to have how much cap space do they have? I know you just went through all this. Yeah, they can get to they like start with basically no cap space, but if you they can get to twenty million effortlessly. If you renounce Alfred Payton and waive Allen Williams, you're basically you're you're right there. And that's that's the other question with Boogie is how much is some team willing to give him? Twenty yeah. million obviously isn't the max, but I don't I don't I don't see anybody giving him the max. And if they're if Phoenix was to give it to him long term, because they'll be at about fifteen million if they get rid of Williams and Peyton. There's other stuff they could do because they have some other small non guaranteed salaries. They also have those expiring contracts for Dudley and Tyson Chandler. Um, they could stretch them. They could probably find a home for for Chandler. I would think. But if you're boogie at twenty million dollars over three years per year, that's that's a huge risk in itself. That that might be a team because it looks like they're ready to be aggressive in advance of yeah. Booker's extension. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have like a great <laughs> answer to that question. The market is weird, and then it's like extra weird for big men this summer. This Mo- is another one about this summer that I think is um, Milwaukee would be interesting if they were willing to. The Pelicans could use someone like Snell, maybe an offer built around him. But I'm actually interested to see if Tony Snell can come become like. Mike Budenholzer's version of Damari Carroll now in Milwaukee. Like maybe Budenholzer yeah. will just unlock him. He'll get more out of him for sure. Another off-season question from Aaron at Swaggy D's, D-E-E-S. Oh, wow. <laughs> Do you see a lot of playoff teams unloading first-rounders and deadweight contracts for cap space this summer? And I put this one in as just sort of a discussion starter for the the, the cap situation again. There's... There's really nowhere for those teams to unload guys like that 
two, right? Atlanta, I mean, who's, who's going <laughs> to... Atlanta is the team because they've come out and said it. Uh, okay, well, there's one. That's more than I had. And they they start the summer with... And this is before... If, if Dwayne Denman and, and or Muscala opt out, this is a team that's going to have a ton of cap. If both of those guys opted out, they're probably looking at $30 million without doing anything. But just to start, when you factor in their three first-round pick holds, they're going to be at about 17.2 is what I have them projected at. That's if they renounce all the exceptions. Which So they could, they could really absorb some stuff. And if you're a team like Portland and have Evan Turner, if you're a team like... I don't know that the Magic would go rogue and try and get rid of the final $34 million on Biombo's deal. I don't think the Grizzlies have enough to sweeten. Uh, Parsons is owed 49.2 over the next two years. Gorgie Jang in, in Atlanta could be interesting if Minnesota's looking to just cut salary. If if LeBron and Houston become a scenario and there's an opt-in and trade thing there, Atlanta might be a prime spot for Ryan Anderson to land. Two years, $41.7 million. They They're the team to watch. I'm just wondering it so let's remove the part of is there even a spot for those bad contracts to go let's just say there is and i think it's atlanta chicago might be they could do it but i think a lot of people are worried they're gonna actually use their cap space yeah they're gonna try to start winning i think that's stupid objectively dumb (laughs) just dumb um but (laughs) you can see it happening right right but they have if they carry zach levine's cap hold uh, and along with their other non-guarantees and David Nuaba, his cap hold, they're going to have more than $23 million in room. It's just like, you know, so it's they could do what Atlanta says they're going to do. But anyway, do you can you even see a team, though, willing to pay the price of dumping those salaries? Just like, what is, what is so it going to cost? like a first-rounder with it or something? Does a first-rounder to Atlanta, if they have three in this year's draft, does a first-rounder... In 2019, when they also have Cleveland's yeah. first rounder, does it? Will they take Evan Turner for that? It, it, are you going to have to include two firsts? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think there'll I be spots. Can, I don't know if there'll be teams maybe, willing to pay the price that it'll take to get off those contracts. Maybe Atlanta tells themselves that we can't have too many first round picks because maybe we can start packaging them and moving up. Right in future drafts, but I mean that's that's the only explanation I can come up with off the top of my head. But if they've already said that they want to do that, that's um, that's more than I realized was was out there. I, I just figured it was going to be really tough to unload big salaries this summer. Yeah, and let's is... say Atlanta does take one or two. Then are there any other teams that might get into that? You, I guess you said Chicago might. Um, I don't. The Lakers aren't going to do it. They're the other team with a ton of cap space. I they don't think could the if they wanted to, but it. yeah, they're not. Imagine the Sixers taking on a bad contract in memoriam of yeah. Hickey. The the, <laughs> the Sixers and Lakers of their stated desire is to kind of go out and try to sign some stars. This was Schlenk's exact quote, by the way. We're projecting as many as sixteen teams could be looking at the luxury tax. We're going to be one of those seven teams that has really any significant cap space. We're going to look to use that cap space to relieve some of the financial troubles that other teams might be having to continue that's, to gather assets. That's pretty That's really interesting to come right out and say that. I, I appreciate that. It's just I'm wondering Yeah, me too. I'm interested to see what the price will be. Because it's it's twofold. It's there. There will be probably few teams. Even the Nets, they'll have some cap space, but I don't know that they're still going to be with their own draft commitments coming back. I don't know that they're necessarily still going to be in bad contract mode. So there will be teams that are willing to take on this bad money. But is this even the summer 
for teams that want to get off bad money to do it, especially if you if you're doing it to get cap space, the free agent market isn't really that great. When you look at the best players, no, after like the top three, it gets yeah because you know Durant's going to go back to Golden State. Paul would be shocking if he left Houston. Most of these teams aren't going to be in the running for LeBron. Paul George seems to maybe maybe he'll have a market of three teams that he'll choose from, like OKC, Philly, and LA would be. I don't know where else he would. I don't even know if he'll look at Philly. That that's how. So this might not be the summer to pay that premium, and maybe that balances it out. Maybe it will only take a first round pick to get rid of. A guy like Turner or maybe a guy like Myers Leonard? I, I honestly don't know. All right, Eric Chud at Eric's underscore Chud fifty. Which players do you think the Sixers will sign over the offseason? You you started to get into this a little bit with your last answer. Um, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Paul George and LeBron James off the table because those are like the obvious targets. Let's say they they whiff on either one of those guys. Are there any I have a few guys I think would be interesting there, but I'll let you go first. So if actually if I'm them, I don't know I'm, if they aren't able to sign Paul George or LeBron James, I might try and wait out the Kawhi Leonard trade situation before I would sign anybody because makes sense. You a lot of these I think Will Barton could be interesting there. Tyreek Evans could be interesting there, but you if you want to put someone else in Philly. I think they need to be non-ball dominant to the fullest extent because you already yep, have Embiid and Simmons. It'd be different if, if we're talking about LeBron James, but and I've said this before, Markel Fultz essentially needs to walk before he can crawl. Like Before you tell him to play off the ball more, you need to give him reps and let him work through whatever's going on with his jumper and figuring uh-huh. out his attack mode and what you have as a passer. If they... I, I think you go maybe you re-sign J.J. Redick, whether it's another placeholder deal or a discounted long-term pack. If you don't sign one of the big names, you immediately go to him. And then maybe an Avery Bradley or a Kentavious Caldwell-Pope would be interesting, although KCP falls in love with those pull-up god-awful two-pointers <laughs> in transition. But he, I don't think he need, using him as more of a cutter or the way they used Bell. Because you imagine kcp and like bellinelli slash reddick's role that we saw a lot during the first round of the playoffs and in the regular season that would be that would be interesting same with avery bradley you named all three of the guys i had listed i apologize Casey, no that's perfect kcp jj reddick and tyreek evans i think i agree with you i don't think i agree with you i do agree with you that you want guys who don't take the ball out of simmons hands so i think with evans i would i would sign him hoping that I could get most of his minutes without Simmons on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'd, they'd probably have to share the floor for a little bit for Evans to get the kind of minutes that he needs. But And then the other thing I was looking for is I, I just think they need wings, right? which is what everybody <laughs> needs right now. And Redick makes sense to re-sign. He had a great year there. I think KCP would be super interesting for all the reasons that you named. Those are Those are the three guys I had. And I don't think – I think Paul George makes a ton of sense there, but I, I think it's kind of Lakers or bust with him. That's sort of the sense that I get. Um, and I know how crazy it sounds, but I'm not – I'm still not in love with the idea of LeBron James and Ben Simmons on the same team. Oh, no, I, I wrote about it and then got hammered for it. I don't think – it just <laughs> – and this is probably more of uh, I want to see – the most from every player on the team type of take, but yeah, you have LeBron coming in and maybe he does want to play off the ball more. That's not a transition that's going to happen right away. He's still the best player in the league. Ben Simmons doesn't have a semblance of a jump shot right now. Joel Embiid just shot 
terribly from three-point range during the regular season. You don't know what Markel Fultz can really do. I Paul George would be by far the better fit, but like you said, will he even look at Philly? One under-the-radar name, if, if they're going, they don't want to spend too much money, I'm not sure how much it would take to get him, but Doug McDermott in Philly could be super interesting. Yeah, that could be interesting for sure. More and more shooting. He had a nice little stretch with Dallas. I, I'm not ready to give up on him yet. Or maybe even, yeah, James Ennis too. Uh, he'd be a better defender, and you could probably get more out of his three-point shot in Philly with the spacing those, they have. Those guys are going to cost way less than the names that we mentioned. So yeah, Doug McDermott's weird because he's restricted, and you don't want to have to. I don't that's know that true. I would pay him mid-level money, and if that's what it took to get the Mavericks not to match, I'd probably pass. That's true. All right, this next one, I I packaged four questions, and I'm, I'm not even going to read the questions. Sorry, guys, but you all essentially asked the same thing. At Travis Lehine. L-E-E-H-E-I-N, at Houston Corey, C-O-R-E-Y-713, at Luke W-9, and at Baird Seth, B-A-I-R-D Seth. Um, all, like I said, variations on the question of what's what's going to happen with Kawhi. And we've we've I've, we've mentioned his name a bunch of times, but we haven't really dug into it. Have this we episode. gone a podcast without mentioning Kawhi's name? I don't think name? we have. Um, he gets like probably an average of five to ten minutes per episode from us. I'll just I'll just ask you straight up, and I think actually you did already say this earlier in the episode. But where is he playing next season? I still think it's San Antonio. There was the we've had just reports continue to come out. Ken Berger at Bleacher Report, I thought published the best balance take where he had executives both saying. The situation is irreparable, and then there was other ones saying that everyone thinks Pop is going to still fix it. That's just it, – it seems too early to tell, and the most recent report, I think, said it'll take a grand slam offer for the Spurs to get rid of Kawhi Leonard, and that came from the ringer's Kevin O'Connor. They're in a tough situation. I don't know why you would look to move him now. He is going to be in a contract year. Because unless he's he to, just straight up said, I'm done. Yeah, unless he demands Which we don't know. Yeah, we don't know that he said that. And he, here's the bigger thing for me. He also just played in nine games during the regular season. You Teams will trade for him, but how many are going to really give you adequate offers knowing that he's had the quad injury now that, at least to him and his own group, was serious enough to keep him out for mostly the entire year, and you're going to have to pay him a bunch of money in free agency in 2019. I just don't know what those offers are going to, to look like. We're at a point where... I think if we if you were getting the Leonard that we saw in 2016-2017, I would make fun of Celtics fans for saying, oh, I'm not giving up Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum in a trade for Leonard. You know what? I'm not giving up Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum in a trade for Kawhi Leonard right now. It's just I'm not doing it. And that's why I think the Spurs ultimately keep him. What will be interesting to me, though, is he is eligible for that designated player extension. It's worth about $219.2 million over five years. I'm not giving that to him either. And that's where I think the trade yeah, demand could come too. in. Uh, he would need to requalify for, it's a different name. It's a designated player contract or designated veteran contract. It's essentially, the, the rules are just nuanced. And he, he would need to requalify. And the easiest way would be making another all-NBA team. He could win defensive player of the year. He could win MVP. I get the type of message that sends to Leonard is probably not great. But if I'm looking at the Spurs, if he's going to be Leonard the Kawhi Leonard that they've known, he's going to make an All-NBA team next year. And if if they've already taken care of him in 2015 free agency where they made him wait instead of the extension uh, so that they could work with a smaller cap hold, 
they should be able to come to that mutual agreement there. I understand that's not necessarily in the best interest of the player, but I'm not. I'm keeping him, and I'm not giving him that extension either. I'm doing both, and I think it's absurd that we're at a point where it's the whole trope about, oh, coaches can't play a coach in the last year of a deal. You know what? They can. Players can play in the last year of their deal, and that's just where I'm at with the Spurs. I don't know if he stays. I do think there's a high likelihood they give him the extension, but I personally, I wouldn't do it. I'd keep him, and I still wouldn't give him the DPE right now. So I... You've gone back. You've been great. I know. I feel like this is... You've fluctuated a ton. (laughs) I feel like a lot of the stuff we've seen suggests that it's broken enough that they're going to at least look this summer. Um, And I'm sure they'll at least field some offers just to sort of see what's out there. I'm going to, just to be crazy, I'm going to say he is playing for a different team. But here's the thing that makes that really hard for me to say. The obvious destination is the Lakers. And there's that... There's that caveat with them that they can just wait. If he's going to sign with them in free agency anyway, then they can just wait. Now, there's inherent risk to that. Um, who knows what can happen during the time period when you are waiting. Maybe he, maybe they sort things out with the, the Spurs and he's fine there. Maybe they trade him to a team that you know he falls in love with and, and you miss out on your opportunity. But... I think there are going to be a couple teams that might make these sort of grand slam offers for Kawhi. And if if the relationship is, is broken enough, I think they'll have to at least think about it. Phoenix would be an interesting team to do that, unless they think that Leonard is very Kyrie Irving and would threaten not to resign with them. But they'd yeah. be an interesting team. The Lakers, for me, under two circumstances, I would if I were them, I'd make the play for Leonard. As if, it, if that gets Paul George and or LeBron to come, then, yeah, then you trade for Leonard. And if it's point. one of them, that's that's fine. Um, because, and th- this, this leaks into my other reason, and then you consider it if you don't get either one of them, should Luel Deng be part of the deal? I don't want to waste cap space and assets on Kawhi Leonard right now, especially if they're not going to sign one of James or Paul George. But if it's a matter of the Spurs will take back Luel Deng is... Um, a salary matcher because you'll include Brandon Ingram and a, f- a future pick and Kyle Kuz. If that if that deal is out there, I consider it still less likely to do it if they don't hit on a free agent or two this year. But if we're talking about them independently trading for Leonard without acquiring anyone else this summer, it, it has to be, to me, with Luol Deng included. That would be the incentive for them not to wait. All right, this is another package one. At PJ Ramey, R-A-M-E-Y, at A-Pot Tothamax, um, <laughs> at A-K-A-H-2-4, and at Raja Panagrahi. Hopefully I uh, pronounced that right. Uh, essentially, it's, it's what's the top three in the draft for you. Mine is, this should come as no shock to anybody. I still have Luka Doncic, number one. I get why a lot of people think Phoenix is going to take Aiton. Um, you know, physically, he's a monster. He put up huge numbers. He's he, He's got all the, the physical gifts that you want. Um, I think signing Igor Kokoshkov has to mean at least a little bit of something. The fact that he was Doncic's coach for the Slovenian national team at Eurobasket. Um and I, I think they can embrace like the positionless basketball revolution by taking Doncic and playing him with 
Devin Booker and Josh Jackson and maybe even TJ Warren. I think you can have all four of those guys on the floor at the same time. So for me, it would be Doncic, Aiton, and I think I'm just sort of defaulting to Marvin Bagley at this point at number three, but I could hear arguments for Jaron Jackson, um, even Muhammad Bamba, who was super impressive at the Combine yesterday. Um, but for right now, my top two is Doncic and Aiton. And then one other thing I'll say about Aiton, because somebody told me he was a can't-miss prospect yesterday, and I don't, I'm not sure we can use that label with anybody, with all the surprises that we've seen with the NBA draft. Aiton had the exact same within a tenth of a point, uh, box plus minus, both offensive and defensive, as Jaleel Okafor at Duke. Oh, boy. Um, he's got, like, much different physical tools than Okafor had, but uh, it, to me it's just I don't think we can call anyone a can't-miss prospect. I agree with pretty much everything you said. I'm more willing to, and I have Doncic over eight and two. We might end up looking like fools though, because he does have the, his physical. Profile. He's a beast. Yeah, yeah. if he develops like into this really high IQ defender, then I, then I'll totally again. I can I'll have no problem conceding. I hope, but I I guess I don't want Dyke, uh, Doncic or Aiton ending up on the Kings. That's just selfishly. No. But one of them's going to, which is sad. Third for me, and I think you kind of hit it on the head. I think there are a lot of players to consider there. I'm not as ready to default to. To Bagley, as as you are, uh, Jaron Jackson is interesting to me, and I'm not ready to give up on Michael Porter either. That guy was the consensus number one pick, and he at one point he's very interesting. So, and it's interesting to see where he could fall if Chicago is able to get him at seven or something. Some people think he might fall to Cleveland at eight, which would be an incredible get uh, for them. I can't see them. I can't see him getting past the Bulls though. They need wings pretty badly. But that would be my top. My top three would be Doncic, Aiton, and I. I think I'm going to say Michael Porter. I don't know why I'm saying that, but I think he would be my third guy. Still, I understand why you wouldn't take him third, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Last thing on that. Have you seen the the stuff about Doncic? Maybe even staying in Europe if the Kings take him. How funny! He didn't frame it specifically to the Kings, right? I I, I remember no, not reading it. It just said he might not come. He might stay in Real Madrid. But- before that quote even came out, though, there were some, like like Jonathan Gibney, I heard him on the Woj pod, there must be whispers about this, because he was saying it would be interesting if he stayed over, if the Kings picked him. So I wonder if he heard that somewhere. And then the quote came out like two days after that. It it would be... that's He's got some leverage that, that you know, college players just don't have. Right. And he... If he stayed, think about how interesting that would make next season, the first year of the new lottery format... That would be yeah, if you're the Kings and he's like basically comes out and says, I'm not gonna go, then you can't take him, right? I- I'm not gonna waste a number two pick on a guy who might miss two or three years. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can either, especially because you don't own next year's pick. Yeah, like, they'd ha- I I feel like they'd almost have to go somewhere else. But if he stayed it, it would be I mean, he's only nineteen. He turns twenty in February. He's not yeah. he could still and be fine. So that That's that would be really interesting. Yeah. Okay, another draft question. This is from at, uh, I'm just going to spell it, D-O-U-M-B-E-L-A-C-H-E-M-I-Z, Dumble Alchemiz, that's what I'll say. Um, did you look at the draft class, which non-lottery player do you like? And I only, we could probably talk about this a lot, but the one that jumps out to me for the last you know few weeks is this guy named Zanon Musa. He's another European who's he's not playing in quite as high 
quality as a league as Doncic, he's in the Adriatic League, which is still, you know, pretty good competition. I would say it's still definitely better than the NCAA. And he's also a teenager. He's 19. He's averaging double figures, um, shooting almost 40% from three. He's 6'8". Uh, so he's, I mean, he's got, he checks a lot of the boxes that you would want. He's, he's very interesting to me. I would, I hope to, you know, maybe he'll do some workouts, but if he's playing in the Adriatic league, that's, that's probably not going to happen. Um, but he's an interesting one to me. I don't know if you have any non moderate guys that you're kind of keeping an eye on. Jalen Brunson's really interesting to me and yeah. it'll, I would wonder where he'd even fall in the first round. Um, I feel like picking Smith would be kind of a cop out because he could just as easily go in the lottery. Uh, but that would probably be really about it. Lonnie Walker, maybe, but, uh, Jalen Brunson's always been kind of, of, of super interest to me. And I'm, I'm hoping he ends up somewhere good at player development or who is, does well at player development and just looking at the outside lottery teams. If he goes in the late twenties is probably his best bet if he could end up in in like a boston or a golden state or a brooklyn or even in atlanta who has that 30th pick 19th is probably a big reach for him all right do you want to rapid fire the rest of these yeah all right desmond smith at d-e-s-i-s or it's just going to be at d-e-s-i smith 24 um why are people forgetting that cp3 is a free agent no way houston pays him he's 33 for his last looking for his last payday right um Maybe this isn't a good one to rapid fire because this this could go in a bunch of different directions. But um, we've talked about this for sure on the podcast. Do we really want to be on the hook for Chris Paul's last contract, something that might pay him until he's 38? I think the first couple years, if you give him a max, are probably going to be worth it. He was first in the entire NBA in real plus minus this season. Um, The question, of course, becomes at what point does he drop off? How steep is the drop off? Do you want to be paying him like thirty million plus, or you know, forty million plus when he's in his mid to late thirties? Um, it's a real question, and and I the, I guess the other question is, would he sign for like two or three years? I don't, I don't think so. But maybe if he's there with Harden and LeBron, it's an easier decision for him. There's a lot of different factors. Well, the other thing is, is where would he go if if the Rockets Fair, aren't yeah, offering the sure. max? In the interest of keeping this like semi quick. I just, I agree with everything you just said. Maybe he signs for less than the max in Houston in exchange for getting the longer term deal, because we saw the market didn't let Kyle Lowry really get more than three years from the Raptors last year. It could be something similar with Paul. I don't think the Lakers would pay him just to bring in LeBron and they can't to afford both of them would cost them about $71 million next year. That's not cap space. They're oh, really, man. yeah, that's crazy. So I just I can't see him leaving Houston and he would at some point you can't you can't do this one year hopping. I'm not saying he's done this cuz he was with the Clippers for a while, but you're going to leave Houston after one year and go where? That yeah, you think fair. is going to win a title immediately or over the next couple of years. I would still like to see him uh in the spur on the Spurs. That would st- if he was going to leave, I just want to find see the Spurs get cap space and sign him, but I don't I would be shocked if he left Houston. Honest, honestly shocked. The lack of cap space this summer is going to make so many things so interesting. And it's not even the lack of cap space. It is, but it's also the teams that have the cap space shouldn't be paying these guys for sure. that yeah. could go in the market be looking for, for money from elsewhere. It's almost, um, last thing on this, I it's hard to name like five guys that you should really want to spend 
40 to 50 million per year on when there's a hundred million dollar salary cap. The John Wall contract already looks terrible. <laughs> Same with the Russ contract, to be honest. Yeah, better than uh, I still think it's better than the Wall contract, but I but th- half of your salary cap to one player—that's just like crippling. No matter how good they are, but okay, these designated free, player extensions have definitely made uh, like they—they've made things super interesting because that's. Sure. I think you're right. They're probably only right now if we took age or experience out of the equation because Giannis Antetokounmpo isn't eligible to sign it right now. Anthony Davis isn't eligible to sign it yet. But those two, LeBron, if you could tell me Kawhi would actually be healthy, but but I wouldn't give it to him. I agree that those guys are worth it, but even then it's so hard to build a team after you spend half your cap on one guy. Those are players that I think, they're probably between three and four, five or six players that I think you don't really need to hesitate on though, just because it's better to keep them happy and on your team. Yeah. For, for oh, that I, yeah. Like I said, I think it's worth it. It's just, it brings a bunch of interesting questions. I don't think we have dealt with before really. All right. At free Jesse bugs, J E S S E B U G G S uh, with a better offensive system and time to develop chemistry and communication on defense. Isn't the Cavs roster hypothetically perfect for LeBron in general and a legitimate challenge to the Warriors? Hill, Hood, Corver, Smith, Green should be a really good wing core next to LeBron, in my opinion. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) So hypothetically, sure. uh, You got a bunch of big wings who hypothetically can shoot and hypothetically can switch on defense. Um, But (laughs) in a more uh, realistic world, none none of those guys he named, with the exception of Hill, from time to time, can play any defense. Um, that's that seems like a little bit of a slight to Kyle Korver, who I think is good, like positional defender, but he lacks the the foot speed and sort of the lateral quickness to be a great defender. Um, and we talked about this when we talked about the the Cavs Celtics series earlier. They are just a mess defensively, and I don't I don't think time uh, to develop chemistry and communication on defense is going to fix some of these individual defenders. Uh, 100% with you right there. It did kind of bring me to an interesting... But the other thing, sorry, one more thing is when they when they made the trade, we were all kind of saying what he just said in his question. Not Maybe not you know you specifically, but I feel like I did, and I know I heard it from other people that, oh man, this is a roster that makes sense for LeBron James. I especially thought that with George Hill. Um, so, it's, I mean, I, I think the question is at least reasonable, but after... The evidence that we've seen, it's hard for me to imagine this this being the right core from LeBron. I'm with you. I'm actually mad at myself for not being harder on them for the trades because I initially didn't like them, but I kind of talked myself into them in real time when I was doing grades. And I think you looked on paper. I was higher on Larry Nance Jr. than I would be right now, but some of that might just be coaching um, or how you use him. It's just – I. No, this is not the perfect roster for LeBron. It's, I mean, you look at George Hill's health history, and now he's yeah. almost unafraid to shoot. And you can't rely on J.R. Smith the way you can. Corver's a good fit. I think you can even say that Hill's a good fit. But but Love should be a good fit. Now, he falls in that Hill category, just underperforming for these random protracted periods. Uh, someone like Rodney Hood has always been overrated, particularly on the defensive end, and kind of as this off-ball guy. Talk about a guy with an interesting summer. You talking about all this, though, made me think that maybe one of the selling points for the Cavs to LeBron is that they could have cap space in 2019. George Hill, 
non-guaranteed deal for a million bucks. J.R. Smith, the final year of his deal, which is valued at $15.7 million, there's less than $4 million guaranteed. Kyle Korver, about half his salary is guaranteed, but you probably keep him. With Jordan Clarkson and Tristan Thompson entering the final year of their deals then, you could talk yourself, maybe a team, into absorbing one of them, or at least you could take back a cheaper contract. Maybe you're willing to stretch one of them. That creates room. And if Kevin Love opts out or you've moved him, you're really – LeBron's salary is going to take up a huge chunk. If he gets the max with his 8% raise, he's probably looking at like 36 million and change in his salary. At a, what's the exact number? He'll be 30 – oh, he'll be making like 38.2 million that year. There are some stuff they could do, and that might be be a selling point. You can trade for someone with that number eight pick now, but there are a lot of interesting things you could do in the summer of 2019 to try and build a roster that actually works with him because this one doesn't. You at least need guys that you can count on looking at their effort. It's just that Kyle Korver, you can count on him. Everyone else, I don't... You know, and Kevin Love, I think he always tries hard on the glass, but he can become disengaged very easily if he misses bunnies on the offensive end. I'm with you. All right, this is another package deal. At Evil Hamster ENT and at Juicy Hussy H U S I. Thoughts on the Buttonholzer hire is basically the the gist of this question. The other one was where do you rank him as a coach? I, I went through all the teams when I saw this question, and these are guys that I think I would feel somewhat comfortable saying are a better coach than Mike Buttonholzer, and I think that there are arguments with a lot of these. Uh, Brad Stevens, Eric Spolstra, Quinn Snyder, Steve Kerr, Mike D'Antoni, Greg Popovich, and Rick Carlisle. And like I said, I'm not I'm not 100% certain on all of those. So I think top 10 is pretty comfortable for Coach Bud, and I like it for the Bucks. I, I think he'll bring some uh, – I mean, he'll, he'll certainly have them playing a better defense than the scrambling scheme they ran for the last few years under Kidd. Uh, I think they'll be a little bit more imaginative on offense. I, I think he'll unlock some things with I don't know, an Antetokounmpo that we haven't seen before. So I like the hire, and I think he's fairly comfortably a top 10 coach. I'm with you on, on everything you just said. And it's uh, the the passing should go up in Milwaukee. Atlanta yeah. with him is very consistently ranked in the top five of assist percentage where Milwaukee has kind of fluctuated there. I, th- I think they were actually in the top five last year. And then this year, they were 15th in assist percentage. And everything you said on the defense holds. Top 10 definitely seems fair. Uh, at underscore Prince CB, how good is Hassan Whiteside's trade value? It is non-existent. Let's move on. <laughs> I was going to say it's terrible. Um, it's going to be really hard to find a place for him. Antiquity. At Antiquity with three Ys. Uh, you'll love this one. You think baiting the refs into foul calls, such as James Harden does, should be looked at it by the NBA? They've already looked at it, and it didn't really do anything. That's my answer. And I they do. Made it, they made the James Harden rule, and it didn't do anything. Here's my thing. I think it eventually does end up hurting players in the postseason. When you look at kind of how Harden's free throw rate went down this year, there there are calls that you're not going to get in the playoffs that you would during the regular season, and, and if you're used to playing like that and you're not really able That's to adjust true. james harden has the step back to rely on when that thing's going going in there's nothing there's nothing you could do so i i you tend to get more heated about this stuff flopping <laughs> and things like that than i do but you know to I, your point um harden's free throw rate is down about 14 percent 
from the regular season. It's the lowest of his postseason career, right? His free throw. So you're on to something there. Yes, it is. He's and part of that's the Jazz. One. Part of that's the Jazz, I will say. Like, part of that's just the Jazz. But I think you're, we've seen it with Lou Williams last year. I think we've seen it with Eric Gordon a couple times now. DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. Oh, he's DeMar DeRozan for sure. So um, The only other thing I'll say on that one is, what whatever happened to the flopping fines? Are they just like... It seems like they just got rid of those without now. saying anything. Um, but I say bring that back. I say suspend people for the whole season if they flop. But oh, that's just... anyway. <laughs> um, I'm going to interject with one from Tim Stubbs. Of, he's okay, a good friend call. of the pod and from NBA Math, uh, at StubHub, S-T-U-B-B-H-U-B. Can you name some of the more underappreciated wing defenders of the 1990s asking for a friend? It's interesting because... Not that there weren't good wing defenders in the nineties. You you had Scottie Pippen, but it was just it, you had Gary Payton. It was just all big everything. Then it seemed like someone like Robert uh, Horry stands out to me immediately because he was just known as like that just big shot maker. But I, he was good on the defensive end as well. Uh, prime Grant Hill. Oh man, in the late nineties. Yeah, he would be in there. I don't know if anyone springs to mind for you. I actually. I went to the player season finder before we started recording to see if I could get some help with this question. And we've, I mean, the issues with defensive box plus minus, I think most people know, um, they say right on the website that you can throw it out if, if the reputation trumps the number. But I just looked at the best defensive box plus minuses from the 90s. Nate McMillan, I, I think he's generally known as a good yeah. defender, but I don't hear a ton about him. Um but, I mean, just about everybody in the top, like, 20 to 30 are, are all big men. So that goes to what you were saying. I guess Magic just, Johnson like, could count there. Yeah. The Charlie Ward near the top 50. Um, Charlie Ward was in the top 50. That's spectacular. Near the top 50. He was 54th. As I scroll through the list, it's like... Oh, man, and we're doing the 90s, too, and here man. I am disregarding Magic Johnson. That was, like, a huge brain fart for well, he, a minute. He did play a couple seasons in the 90s, right? But that was after he came back. Ron Harper. Oh, that's a good one. Um, Brian Russell. Near and dear to my heart. Jordan pushed off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about all I got. Like, I, I think your answer is sufficient. There's, it's just, it was so many big men. And defensive box plus minus still rewards big men to this day. So I should make that clear as well. Um Okay, Kevin, at Colorado, except for the first two O's are actually zeros. How did the Nuggets become a playoff team? Um, Have it's Paul so hard Millsap no healthy way. for a full season. Paul Millsap healthy helps. I think, I think Jamal Murray and Devin Harris need to be uh, a little bit better defensively. And I think they can upgrade at the three. And I don't know where that comes from. Um, that's why not this, signing Jokic this summer is interesting, if it's at all interesting to them. Because if you work with that smaller cap hold next year when you have the team option yeah, on Millsap and somebody. Arthur, Chandler, assuming they opt in, they'll be off the books next year. Ditto for Kenneth Reed. They need a wing, but I, I, I'm i with you on the, if you let the core marinate, Gary Harris might even have some improvement left in him, but certainly Jamal Murray does. And Jokic is probably going to get better. Yeah, Jokic is what, 22 years old, 21? Um so they still have time. Maybe it is just internal development, but I think there are they can get a little bit better on the fringes. And Jokic is twenty three. Just to, he's old. Uh, I take it back. He's not improving. Old man. At Taylor Dalton twenty four. This is our last one. 
Do you think the Celtics have a legit shot at the title if they get past the Cavs? And I know I just I I told myself and the whole audience earlier that I've been wrong about the Cavs or the Celtics tons of times, but I, I don't think they have a prayer against the Rockets or the Warriors. I'm going to say the same. I'm not. I'm still not convinced they're going to make it past the Cavs. But as you said, we've just been off on the Celtics, <laughs> and they would be. Uh, they might be a more if we're looking at it just between the Cavs and the Celtics. Do you think you could make a case that the Celtics have a better chance of being either of those teams than Cleveland at this point? And I think you can because of what they're able. Yeah, to Yeah, I do think you can make that argument for sure. Yeah. Um. All right, I think that wraps us up with today's mailbag. If we didn't get to your question, uh, apologies for that. Keep sending them to us because this this is one of my favorite things to do on the podcast. I love the questions that you guys send. Um, until next time. You can find us on Twitter. Dan's at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Uh, there's a really fun thing happening at the uh, NBA math Twitter account right now. Um, follow along with hashtag time machine draft. We're all drafting across NBA history um, to come up with like our all-time Historic lineups. It's really fun. You'll I'm still you'll salty learn. about the reaction to my Chris Paul. Oh <laughs> eight, oh nine, Chris Paul. One of the best ten individual seasons in NBA history. It was incredible, and I came to your defense on that one. Um, that and I think Stephen Curry were the only ones that I like quote tweeted because there was there was kind of a harsh reaction to Curry as well. I, I would also like to point out that I have the highest GPA so far. My LeBron pick got rave reviews. Shocker. Uh, yeah, and you got you had the best because <laughs> you didn't even have to make the initial pick. Someone nope, else picked Jordan, so the decision was made for you. <laughs> as soon as Adam told me you got the number two pick, I was like, yes, I don't have to do the LeBron-MJ thing. Because I, w- I would have taken LeBron number one, and I'm sure a lot of people would have graded that harshly. Um, so, yeah, I lucked out and got the number two pick. Anyway, follow NBA underscore math. Go to nbamath.com slash shop and buy some of those really cool T-shirts. And enter the promo code Benno, B-E-N-O, to get 15% off those T-shirts or any other stuff on the, at the uh, – NBA Math Shop. Finally, once again, leave us reviews, leave us ratings, subscribe. Um, now, if you have friends who don't have an iPhone or an iPad or anything like that, they can find the show on Google Play. Um, we're still on you know, Stitcher as well. So we're, we're available on whatever device you have and however you listen to podcasts. Find us. Uh, we are eternally grateful for that. And until next time, we leave you with a shout-out to Ben Udry and to Kyle Anderson.